What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Pro GK Podcast, the quarantine series. By now, you guys have already heard three episodes, one with Todd Hoffer from Real Salt Lake, Phil Wedden from the Philadelphia Union, and Chris Sharp from the Colorado Rapids. Today, you guys will be hearing Ian Foyer, who is a legend of the game. He's a 20-year pro, played in the Premier League for West Ham, Derby County, played in Belgium for Club Bruges, and is coached with the U.S. Women's National Team and the Men's National Team, as well as 10 years with the LA Galaxy. Ian discusses his philosophies, his methodologies, how he approaches training with a goalkeeper, and just how important the bubble and technique is. Very excited for you guys to hear this episode. Again, hopefully you guys are all being safe, being smart, staying indoors, and if you can, train on your own in your backyard, and still trying to get better with either watching film or listening to podcasts like these. Again, guys, my name is Omar Zini. Enjoy this episode with Ian Foyer. Uh, People who don't know who you are, Ian, just... A short little snippet about your career, playing career, your life, and, and where the game has taken you as a coach. Um, so at 16, I went to uh, try my luck over in Europe. I played 20 years in Europe with uh, FC Bruges, um, West Ham United, and Luton Town, as well as the U.S. Olympic team in the 92 Olympics and the U.S. national team on, on numerous uh, camps, mostly. Uh, um, and then just traveled the world uh, playing soccer. So now I'm coaching. Um, with, uh, I was with LA Galaxy for 10 seasons with the U.S. national team and have my own uh, premier goalkeeping academy that I run daily with all my, all my clients, private training and camps and everything. So, yeah, just staying busy, you know, staying busy. Yeah, I'm sure. And then uh, one of the things that, I mean, for me at least, I've known you for a long time, but in the goalkeeping community, you kind of became famous with your uh, Facebook post recently, your Instagram post about the state of goalkeeping in, in the world now and the social media goalkeeper. And the biggest thing that I got from it was how coaches are failing to remember to get everything in the bubble. And I think one of, uh, so my question to that is, what is your priority now as a, as a goalkeeper coach? What is your philosophy uh, to mold a young goalkeeper and, and what are your priorities for them? Well, it was interesting that how that all came across because uh, one of my clients who was with their respective uh, national team was texting me complaining and, and they were just saying their keeper coach was just killing them. I mean, it was just like fly here, fly there. She's battered, she's bruised and, you know, she has to play a game the next day and, and, and she leaves the training session basically feeling uh, not prepared and, and and just didn't work on the things that, that are involved in the game situations. And, you know, I kind of just made a post and it, it somehow went, I don't, I don't want to say viral, but it, it, <laughs> no, got it, pretty, it got pretty big and, and I was just kind of ranting a little bit. And it, it just based from what I see is, you know, kind of what are we working on? You know, I mean, we're working on top corner flashy saves all the time, yet that's, you know, a tenth percentile of the shots that, that we face. And there's so many aspects of goalkeeping that uh, are, are, I feel are neglected. And wasn't necessarily to go off on other coaches. It was more to open their eyes that we got to be better and we can be better. And I think if we all, you know, combine our thoughts and in, in, in that we can, we can, we can make this uh, position a very, very updated and, and, you know, make it just a lot better. So I had to go off a little bit. I didn't mean to go off, <laughs> but it kind of, kind of ended up that way. For sure. So getting into the first question here, it's kind of a, transition from my question and it's uh, logan.bittner he says hey ian what is one thing that younger goalkeepers do not focus on that they should be prioritizing well it goes back to your thing you mentioned before i call it the bubble and you know if you can be solid within three to four three yards left and right of you on and then we're talking about shot stopping here if you can be solid on that and you know you're catching more and you're you're not getting scored on as much through that i think you're going to be a solid keeper in terms of, of the shot stopping topic and it's something that needs to be worked on over and over and over. And with my clients, I constantly remind them they need to catch more. I think we're so used to just reaction drills and, you know, pushing away and just flying and flying and everything's such as a high speed. And we, we forgot how to catch. And I think it's, a, it's kind of like a lost art at the moment. So for me, I constantly work on those scenarios where you're coming from a to b you got to get set and you got to get balanced and you got to save your bubble do i work on top corner shots of course we got to work on everything but in terms of the percentage shot i mean there's a lot of shots that go inside that two to three yards left and right of a goalkeeper and if you're not set and balanced then it becomes uh, a, a, an issue 
you know. So for me, my main focus on shot stopping is getting a keeper moving from point A to point B. And when they get to point B, they have to be perfectly balanced and set to a point that they can save that bubble. Yeah, I think that's a, if I could say, especially here in California, a lot of the goalkeepers that have worked with you sometimes come and work with me in their off season. And you could tell right away which ones went to Ian Foyer. You have a very, dis- it's a very, no, I'm serious. You have a very distinct look. And, and to be honest with you, when I first became a coach, I watched some of your YouTube content that you put out. And there was some stuff that I saw and I was thinking, wow, it's, it's very simple, but the coaching points are very like pinpointed and you knew exactly what you were looking for. And it kind of made me rethink some of the stuff that I was doing because I had a very Hispanic background growing up. So a lot of plyometrics. And then I had Matt Menel at uh, Galaxy and it was more, again, more Americanized, more European inside the bubble. So I combined both of those. Then I saw your coaching, your coaching style. And I said, wow, it doesn't have to be all flash. It doesn't have to be hundred miles an hour. And what I loved about your stuff, like you said, it's the bubble and it kind of made me rethink things. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here because it kind of re reset my thought process. And I'm hoping that hopefully with more of these questions, the more you, the more you talk less of me, the more you talk, it'll give you a, a little bit more of into, into your mind. Uh, from Jeff Redinger, Jeff, the keeper, he says, who do you feel you learned from the most in your playing career? Was it a specific coach, a specific teammate or another goalkeeper? That's a great question. I, not a lot of people know this. I had a short spell at, at Arsenal in 2004 wow. um, with that team. Yeah, Henri's and the, and the Patrick Vieira. <laughs> and, and it was a crazy time. I was there for four months. And Arsene Wenger was the coach. And, man, the stuff I learned from him, just it was insane. I mean, I learned more probably in those four months than I did in, in anything else. And it was more tactical, uh, more game-related, you know. So Arsene Wenger would be up there. And a lot of, I mean, I had another keeper coach named Malcolm Webster, pretty famous in England. And he coached at the time. He kind of freelanced a little bit. He went around all the pro clubs. He had about 10 different clubs he worked for, Ipswich, Norwich, and a couple others. He was amazing for me. He taught me, he forced catching. You know, he, he would just smash as hard as he could. And he said, you can catch it. You have good hands. Keep catching. And it just raised my level. It was basic as well. But the basics is, is where it's at. I mean, if you go to field players, it's the same thing. I mean, a, a great field player can receive a ball and pass a ball very, very efficiently, and they have vision. You know, so it's not always just this flashy top corner shot or top corner bicycle kick. You know, it's like the same. It, it's like I see going back to the goalkeeper coaching. If you had a player and, 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 you know, you have a forward and all you do is work on bicycle kicks. That's kind of what I see a lot. Yeah. You know, it's like people just running across – never having to get set. They know the shot's going to their right. So just before the shot's hit, they jump to the right, and in mid-flight, they kind of get a hand to it or something. I mean, that's kind of easy. I could do that at eight. You know, I'm 48 now. I could probably go and <laughs> go and still do that. What's yeah. harder is you have to go from point A to B, and you got to get set, and the shot could come left, right, up, or down. You know, so, yeah, yeah I would say Austin Wenger was probably one of my yeah, – I learned the most from him. Yeah, I think uh, to build off that too is, is Todd Hoffer was on a few days ago, and he mentioned that the – the drills that he does from his youth kids up to his first team, of course, he's going to vary it up a little bit. For the most part, it's the nuts and bolts. And then from the nuts and bolts, you change your expectation for the goalkeeper. So, you you know, the younger goalkeeper, you're obviously going to give them a little bit more slack. But for other goalkeeper, like you say, you're going to get, you know, force them to catch the ball and everything in the bubble has got to be clean. So, again, that's really good that you reiterated that. Um, okay, so Dami RFFN, he says, hi, Ian. How do I become fearless on 1v1 situations? So, Ian, if you have any for the younger goalkeepers, how to, not, or how to be more fearless, and also maybe if you want to talk about your 1v1 and how you train it. Um, how to be more fearless. Wow, great question. Um, I personally enjoyed physical contact. Like, I had players really try to take me out in games, and <laughs> it just inspired me more, even though it hurts sometimes. But I think, to me, my philosophy was, a ball to the face or the, you know, groin or whatever hurts less than a goal. So mm-hmm. I think the mindset has to be just, it, it only stings for a second, but a goal hurts for a little longer, you know, yeah. and I was playing pro if we played on Saturday and the following game was the next Saturday and I let a goal in, I mean, it, it hurt till the next Saturday. So, was, you know, if I got kicked in the face, it only hurt for 10 <laughs> seconds. You know, there's ways of training it. One is, you know, if your coach has, you know, you have your coach, you know, and they do, where you need to throw your body or your face at the ball and your hands to the ball. Um, what I like to do is I use um, either like uh, like a Nerf ball, okay, or you can just use uh, soft balls. Like you don't pump them up as much, and you keep them pretty soft, and you have the keeper just fly out 
and you can kind of kick it into them. And, you know, so they get used to a ball hitting them. And I think a lot of it is if you do enough repetitions, it kind of doesn't hurt after a while, if that makes sense. So that's one of the things I would, I, I, I've done in training and it works really well with keepers that are kind of fearful. I'll just get a ball that barely did barely pumped up and I'll just, you know, say, come out. I'm going to, you know, where they kind of kick it into them and that, and you kind of collide a little bit. So I do that, which helps a little bit. And after a while they get over the fear, you know, got it. What was the okay. second part of the question? I can't remember. No, it's just for maybe for the coaches, the process that you take as a coach to train the one v one. Um, the process, I mean, it's, it's so important that we, we, we got to get coaches on board. And this is one of the things I'm working with, with a few goalkeeper coaches, friends of mine, we got to get coaches on board with what's going on with goalkeeping as well. Not so much the technical part, but more on the the organizational and the decision-making because anytime a ball goes behind the back line, all you hear is coaches say, come out. We know as keepers that's not the, the 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 rule. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. So we have to get coaches on board because I'll work with a goalkeeper and I'll give them my advice on one v ones, when to come out, when to stay, and, and I have it broken down into three different zones, so it's more applicable. But like I said, when a coach is sitting there on the sideline and you have a ten-year-old keeper in goal. And the moment the ball comes over, 15 parents and the coach go, run out, run out. You know what I mean? Keeper's going to be so confused. And it's, it's something that my biggest want in this country is that we get on board with the keeper coach and the head coach as to what needs to be done with the goalkeepers because there's such a void there. And the things that we teach our keepers, then they go in with their team, they're getting told complete opposite. You know, so they're so confused. They're getting yelled at and they're, you know, and also the teams never work on these topics that we're talking about. They think just blast shots on them in training yeah. and they'll be fine. That's not where the problems lie. The problems lie on the decision-making part, on, on, on all, all those things. And if the coach doesn't understand what his goalkeeper needs to do on the decision side and the organizational side, it makes a void. I mean, imagine a football team with their quarterback and they say to the quarterback, hey, go over to the corner and, uh, just work with your quarterback coach and uh, work with the other quarterback and throw back and forth. That's just not good. Enough. Yeah. So we have to get the coaches more involved and the keeper coach has to be able to get more involved with the team. And I understand that's hard at club level because you're not going to be there for every session and there's 10 teams working at one time, but it's something that I love to do. And it's something that is very important. It's a unified, yeah. Unified message from top to bottom. I think that's a great, it's a great point. Okay, so Ian, uh, not many people know this, but you're about six foot six, six foot seven, so you're a little bit taller. And one of the questions I have here is from Brian underscore Lanier GK, good friend of mine as well. He says, "What is a better stance, narrow or wide, when the shot is coming?" And the reason I brought up your size is because obviously I'm thinking for you, maybe because you're six foot seven, your stance is obviously going to be a little bit different, maybe a little bit wider than somebody who's going to be six foot. So uh, let's say from your playing career. Did you adjust your set shape as you got older? And let's talk about also as a coach, from your perspective, when you teach it, how do you, is it a one size fits all? Or, I mean, I probably don't think so, but for you, how do you train that? Again, a great question. Usually a general guideline is, is shoulder width apart. There's moments where you'll be a little more narrow, let's say closer in and, you know, but usually a general guideline is a shoulder width apart. With that said, I do allow my keepers to have their, their freedom. You know, I mean, I think we get very robotic at times with, with our coaching and we're analyzing a drag step of this step of this. So what I try to do is I try to create a skeleton and they can kind of, you know, go off that a little bit. And if I see it's not working, I'll correct it. I mean, for me, you could do a backflip and if you save the shot and you catch it, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a save, right? So, yeah. um, I think sometimes we're so focused on, running across and our hands have to be perfect in shape and da, 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 da. Yeah, that can, but what, if it translates to the game, I don't see many keepers running around at the top level with their hands perfectly in shape before the shot. Now, in theory, it sounds good and it does help, but you also have to have the freedom to be relaxed. And I think if you're too stiff, we're creating stiff keepers mm-hmm. and they're so like stuck and stiff and worried about technique. So it's a constant balance of, technique and freedom 
And I think we got to find that balance. And I think everybody's, tr again, I'm not trying to, to, to go off or nothing, but I think we're so focused on technique that sometimes you have this keeper that's so robotic, they can't even move or can't even create or, or feel free to make a decision on their own. And I remember uh, going back to my keeper coach in England, I had this weirdest technique where a ball came to my chest and I didn't use my hand. I just kind of just did this and it just locked in every time. And he looked at me and he goes, dude, I want to correct you. He goes, but mm. you haven't dropped one shot. He goes, I can hit it as hard as I can. He goes, I've <laughs> never seen you drop a shot. And I was like, I, yeah, I didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah, I guess I haven't. I get, but then I started going like, yeah, but that's stupid. I should do, I should use my hand. You know what I mean? But yeah. you have to have the freedom to do what you want within the boundaries. And, and you know, and, and it's taken as a coach, it's taken percentages all the time and going, Hey, you know what? This actually works. Maybe I'll try that. You know, and I'm, this kid's, so I've had kids come to me and they have some technique I've never used or whatever. And I'll sit there and I'll let them do it. But meanwhile, I'm taking percentages. I'm going, you know what? They're not dropping a shot or they're doing really well. Let me try that. Or the opposite. You're actually not doing this. Okay. So try this out, buddy. You know, here's what we want to try and do. Here's why I don't want to do that. Here's why you shouldn't do this. So, let, and then I'm let them kind of self teach. Yep. You know, so we actually spoke to a uh, sports psychologist, Dan Abrahams, who's renowned in the world, but we had him on a podcast recently and he said that sometimes it's an ego thing for some coaches to think that it's always technical and that it's always something that they can fix versus it's sometimes being a psychological thing where maybe you're throwing too much at them, like you're saying, being a little too robotic, being trying to be too technical and so stiff that it's really hard for you to even just be athletic at points. So I think, again, that, that works off your point. I think that kind of brings it all full circle. So I'm happy you said that. Well, a good, sorry, real quick, a good, a good Go example is I had a keeper the other day, uh, not the other day, about six months ago. And this keeper was struggling to find the flight of a cross. Okay. Mm. Which is difficult for, he was, I think he's a nine year, maybe 10 years old. He was struggling to find the flight of the cross. And so I would, you know, I would start with tossing a ball up and he would just, I would say, go get above your head, you know, catch, get the knee up, all this stuff. And I remember he was, he was, couple were going over his head and I, and I remember one of the, the mom was sitting there yelling, you got to yell keeper. And I looked at the mom, I go, it's okay right now. He's not yelling <laughs> keeper. We're going to start with, can he get it? Just the timing of it, you know? So again, it's so important to just, it's, it's steps and it's bringing them, you know, it's pulling them this way, telling them what to do. And then you let go and see if they do it. And when they don't, you correct little, you know, you kind of just guide them. And, you know, you can overcoach as well. And I think sometimes yeah. we overcoach. For sure. Uh, okay, so I have a question here from Miguel underscore Martinez 21. He's been on these, on these chats a few times, though, so thanks, Miguel, for your constant questions. I love them. He says, how do you, as a coach, build a foundation for keepers 12 and under? So I think we may have covered this a little bit, but if you want to go into kind of a little bit more detail as to uh, how you do it with your, your goalkeepers. Okay, so it's great. Again, great question. So the younger the keeper, so if you come to a session of mine, I do a session for one hour and, you know, private session or semi-private, maybe with two keepers, but it's, it's no more than two at the time. The younger you are, the more we will be doing the, I call them, you know, the phase one drills, like the beginning drills and footwork, just simple diving, catching your bubble, diving while catching. And, you know, sim so, you know, the younger ages, we'll do 20 minutes of that. And then we'll go into goal. Once we get into goal, I do my drills off to the side because, I like to, when we get in goal, everything's live. You're, you're, you, it's not, you don't know where the shot's going, okay? In the beginning drills, you're going to know where everything's going. Not all of the time, but most of them, you're going to know where it's going. So it's focused solely on technique. Be perfect. You know what's happening. Start here, get to here, dive left. So you can work on full technique. And then when you're getting to here and getting to here, I'm focused on you need to be set 100% perfect. You can't be leaning. You can't be too narrow, too wide, too up, too down, you know, all these things. So it's all technique. So the younger you are, we're going to spend a little more time in those parts. The older you get, I've had, I have a lot of clients. In fact, I'll, I'm going to, you know, just, uh, I've been doing sessions uh, last week. I've had clients, we go five minutes and we're straight in goal. You know, it's quick hands da -da -da, yeah. and then we get in goal. So once we get in goal, that's the live game scenarios that I create. Okay. So it's going to be, I'll create a scenario. I'll say, here's what's happening. The pass comes from here to here, and the player lays it off to me. I shoot, blah, 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 or whatever topic you're, you're working on. So I create as a realistic game scenario as I can with everything I can imagine, from mannequins to blow-up dummies 
to to anything you can imagine. Um, so the younger you are, I'm going to focus a little more on that, you know, the technical side so they really get it ingrained. And I'm hoping by about 14, I can go five-minute warm-up and we're straight and goal and we're getting about a 55-minute game-related scenarios. That's a great answer. Yeah, I think that's important too for, for any young coaches as well who are watching or listening. It's important to think of it as a process, right? So the younger goalkeepers – Ability-wise, too, let's say a younger goalkeeper who gets it and is a novice with their goalkeeper position who's good, and they can kind of bypass those warm-up, or not warm-up procedures, but if they can get maybe 10 minutes of it and you think, okay, they're ready to hop in goal, then move them based on ability. But if you think you they need a little bit more, and I think, too, uh, Ian, to follow up with you is, I think we talk about a lot, the people th- think about, like how you said, forwards, they don't just train bicycle kicks. They need to train the fundamentals, the basics, and again, the speed of play as you get older and older, you have to adjust to it. So do you feel like for any, a message to any coaches about the process? About the process of, for go- like head coaches or keeper coaches? The, so the thing is, I've, I, again, I, I know a lot of your goalkeepers and I've seen how, how technical they are. So, and for me as well, I'm a very impatient person, not on the field, just off the field. So sometimes that carries into my coaching. So I don't, I don't focus enough sometimes on the, the, the basics, the fundamentals. And so for you, can you just kind of help coaches understand how patience is, is key for that process? Patience is probably, if you, it's probably the biggest thing you have to have. And what's helped me is I've coached eight-year-olds all the way to Hope Solo, Tim Howard, all the Galaxy Keepers. I mean, it, it, like, it, it has helped me. And every single one of them is different, you know. You, some of them learn different. Some of them you can, you can coach directly. I've had keepers at Galaxy where I had to indirectly coach because if I directly coached, they would lose confidence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I would coach the other keeper in front of the keeper I wanted to coach, if that makes any sense. So yeah. he would hear it and go, oh, yeah, okay. So, But if I coached him directly, I felt he would lose his confidence. So then it boosts. So there's so many ways of coaching. And it, it, it's just important to be so patient and understand it's not about us as the coach. It's us about – it's about getting the keeper as best you can and helping them achieve their dreams. So gotcha. I've, I've already played. I've already done – you know, so it's, it's about them. So if it's about you – you got to reevaluate while you're a coach. Got you. Okay. Thank you for that one. Uh, Ryan Torero has been commenting. So we all know she's been one of your, one of your goalkeepers for, I said, 15 plus years, uh, went to the world cup with Chile. And uh, I think I know her from, she trains with my buddy, John. Uh, but she says, we're talking about one V ones to go back to that. She says, you know, the best thing for me that Ian taught me during one V ones was minimizing the goal in my mind and visually. I view a 1v1 as a small goal around me, not as a big goal behind me. Calms the mind and focuses it. And someone actually said, can you elaborate a little bit more, Ian, on the three different zones for 1v1s? Uh, Hey, Ryan. Hi. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And Jonathan as well. Yeah, Jonathan's great. Good guy. Uh, Big shout out to those two. Okay, so as I started coaching, I've obviously evolved. I want to become the best coach I can. So I constantly analyze what I do, how I do it, how I say it, how I present it. So I've broken down the one V ones into three different zones. Okay. And what I did was in the Germany world cup, which was 2002, I want to say, so I can't remember. It's a long time ago. 2006, Um, 2006. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. I said to myself, I'm just going to analyze, I'm going to watch every game, but I'm going to analyze one v ones and what i came up with was there's three different zones so if a forward receives a 1v1 gets the ball behind the back line and it's outside the 18 okay we're gonna hold off a little bit okay and again this goes for as i'm saying this this goes for any type of one-on-one that you cannot get to first if it's you can get there first it doesn't matter what part of the field you just go and get it you clear it with your feet or you pick it up or you whatever slide out so there's that. So zone three is kind of outside the 18. The forward receives the ball. You don't want to be about penalty spot right there because the good players are just going to go right over your head. It's going to be an easy shot. Zone two is where it's at because zone two is between 18 and about penalty spot. And that's where a majority of 1v1s happen. So zone two is if you can't get to the ball first, you got to get outside your six, I call it, about seven yards out and see what they do. And this, again – hear me out this is when they you cannot get to the ball first so zone two is 18 to about penalty spot and you got to see what they do you get they're going to shoot you got to be set for the shot and you got to also be set for another touch or a dribble 
Zone one is about penalty spot onwards. Zone one is we got to be brave. We got to be bold. Even if you're not getting there first, you got to kind of get out there and be big and do the K save or do the, you know, diving at the, at the feet. So it creates a little bit of, and, and that's, there's way more into it than that. That creates a little bit for the, especially the younger keepers, they can immediately kind of relate to, okay, zone three, boom, I got to just hold maybe just inside my six yard box. It's way outside the 18. I don't want to come out yet. Cause you see keepers come out, ball gets played over the top forward receives it top of the circle. The keeper's already on the 18. Now all the player has to do is dribble towards the keeper. They got 15, 18 yards behind the keeper. They can just play a big pass to themselves and then go tap it in. Yep. So we don't want to do, we want to bait them into not having that space behind us. Does that make sense? Yes. And it's, it's going into, it's hard to do it <laughs> visually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we want to hold a little bit. Once they start getting around the 18, then we can start getting to about six, seven yards and see what they do. Okay. Gotcha. So that's your zone two. And from there we can make a decision, you know, so going back to the Germany world cup, there was 22 zone two one-on-ones where the keeper comes out, they set the, the forward is in a one V one position between the 18 and the penalty spot. And then they just slide a shot from that zone. Players really don't want to start dribbling the keeper because there's no space behind them. Does that make sense? Yeah. When they do dribble the keeper, it's usually out of necessity. They had a previous bad touch or the initial pass came too far, and all they could do is go around the keeper because there's nothing else to do. But once the forward gets into zone two, what was astonishing was 21 out of the 22 shots in zone two in that German World Cup, 21 were inside the bubble which is basically two mm. yards left and right of you. And I kept watching it. I kept going, okay, no, it went inside netting, but hold on. Where did it pass the keeper? So I'd pause it. I go, wait, that's two yards to the keeper's left. The keeper was leaning right, and the forward slotted it to the keeper's left. Okay. Now, not every one of them were goals. Some of them hit the foot, and the keeper made the save, or they shut, whatever. But so then all of a sudden I was going, wait a minute, let me – practice that let me let me start working on that and going to ryan's point on the the, the 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 zones so what i do is i work on zone two one-on-one will be i set up uh two pylons i get football pylons which coaches out there they're great uh markers so you can you can land on them and you don't break a rib with normal cones you know what i mean so i get two pylons seven yards out and i put them for me it's one big step left one big step right so probably you know three yards left and right of a keeper, I'll be shooting on them. And I say, look, do not let me score between these two pylons. Okay. So the full width of the goal, the pylon covers basically 90% of the goal if you're seven yards out. Okay. So it's real important to, to, to get them to realize that. So what I'm trying to teach the keepers is that the forward now is in a 1v1 position. You got a keeper who's balanced and set. And now they have to score outside these pylons, which only gives you a yard either side of the pylon to score. At the same time, the forward now doesn't want to miss from that close. Because at the high levels, if you miss from inside the box of 1v1, you know what you're going to be watching as a team on the video session the following day. You're going to be watching your miss in front of the team, and the coach is going to be going, how the hell did you miss that? Hit the target. So what I'm trying to do is teach my keepers to understand what the forward's going through, which then helps them to go what Ryan was saying, relax, make a save in between your bubble, and you're going to make some saves. So going back to the Germany World Cup, 21 out of the 22 were inside that bubble. If you get set and balanced, you can make a save. But because you're freaking out as a goalkeeper and you think the goal's so big, you start cheating and leaning and all that stuff, you can make the save. So I put the emphasis back on the forward to make a great shot. Make That's them beat you. Make yeah, them beat make you. Them beat That's you a good shot. And if they Perfect. do, you go, you go, great job. Perfect. I love that answer. Okay. Uh, let's get to some of these other ones. David Stormo underscore. He says, love from Norway. Tips for getting better over the mental barrier when going out to catch a cross. And I'm sure you have a lot to say on this. Like we talked, I talked to Chris Sharp yesterday and he was saying, I mean, every coach actually, Phil and uh, Todd as well, saying that it's a lost art. Coaches don't really train crosses anymore. And so for you, how do you feel like you can help a goalkeeper get over that mental barrier? Well, first off, Tusen Tak for the question. That means thank you very much. In, in oh. <laughs> I know two words. Anyway, um, 
how do you get up? I mean, again, it's repetitions. So for example, I was, when I did crossing back in the day, it would be a coach or a player just crossing balls in the box. There's no visuals to make a decision. So as a coach, you need to get as many toys or whatever you want, you call it like mannequins and, and, and create as much of a visual as you can if you're as a, as a keeper coach with your keeper doing, let's say like, if, if I'm doing a 1v1 session, one-on-one -on -one session, sorry, um, I'll get as many, you know, mannequins, I'll, I'll create a scenario where, okay, here's where the ball starts, it gets played out, we're gonna tell, we're gonna also talk, we're gonna tell our defenders step, cross comes in, make a decision. You gotta catch the ball above the height of the mannequins, you can't just catch down here, you know, so create as yes. much and put rules on it. And, you know, cause I'll put mannequins up and the keeper will catch stomach high next to a mannequin. I go, that's a forward. So you got to catch above the height of that. The forward just ran across you. You're never even going to get this ball cause they ran across you and headed it in. So you got to create as much realism as you can as a keeper coach so they can get a, a gauge of where their range is. As a team coach, you have to do it with your team. You have to get your defenders. You have to play a ball out and you whip a ball in. It's as simple as that. And you have forwards running in and you have your defenders and then the keeper has to come in and then you could break it down and go, look, this is the ball I need you to come for. And then you could tell your defenders, block the forward. One of you drop off behind the keeper in case they miss it so you can clear it off the line, blah, 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 all these things. So as head coaches, they never work on it. Mm. And then you get, they yell at their keeper for not doing it right. And sometimes I'll do a, a coaching seminar. I, I always love opening with this. So I coach for, uh, I, I, I've done a lot of licenses, you know, with Phil Wedden and, you know, he, he's helped me tremendously with, with getting in with the U.S. national team and stuff. So I'll do a coaching license and it'll be the goalkeeping topic. And I'll start, I speak fluent Dutch and wow. I'll have uh, six, you know, 60 college and pro and, and, you know, head coaches in front of me and I'll start speaking to them in Dutch. And in Dutch, I'll be saying to them, I can't believe none of you guys speak Dutch. How dare you? You guys are terrible coaches. And they're all just sitting there like, oh, what? You know? <laughs> and then I laugh and I go, look, here's what I just said. And I tell them, and they, you know, I'm smiling. So they know I'm joking. And I go, this is what you're doing with your keepers. I go, I just yelled at you for not speaking Dutch, but I never taught you how to speak Dutch. So you cannot just think your goalkeeper is some separate entity and never work on it. And then have the audacity to yell at them for not working on it. And it's just something that is such a pet peeve of mine. And I'll go watch youth games all the time. And I'm just hearing, I'm seeing these keepers getting crushed. And I'm going, that's, have you ever worked on it? You know? And their answer yeah. usually is no. You know? So it's so important. Love it. Okay. Since you've been all across the world, Belgium, you, the U.S., uh, uh, Europe, England, I mean, you've been everywhere. Uh, one of the things that has obviously become come up now and the trend is the block save. And I have here from Daniel Hanera. He says, when do you use the block save? I feel sometimes I do the block save too fast or in the wrong time, which can lead to a goal. So again, I, I, I pose this question to I think Phil and we're, we're talking about it. Is it the coach's fault for training it wrong or should the goalkeeper at a certain age watch it enough from themselves and I guess make the mistake enough to figure it out? Or is it kind of a collaboration effort between the two? Um, I feel it's a little bit overused right now. Okay. There's times to use it. I think it's a great technique. And it, again, a, a great question. I mean, your, your audience is amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel to do the block save, you have to get out there and you have to stop. Cause you can't keep momentum through it. Does that make sense? So yes. for me, I like on the side angles a little bit more because the angle is so small that if you do a block side, you're almost covering almost the whole goal. There's other times I feel where if you get out there and get momentum through it and the timing, right, obviously you got to get the timing, right? Cause you can give away a penalty as well. I think it can be done where, you just get out and big, like, you know, uh, Schmeichel, you know, just come out and just slide through, you know, starfish, legs out, arms out, and be big as that. So I think it's a balance, again, between the two. And it's teaching when to do it, when not. I saw a keeper in a Champions League the other day from 10 yards. Not the other day. It was probably about two months ago. Sorry. But <laughs> from 10 yards away, 
doing the, the K save. Like, the, you know, I'm like 10 yards away. You can make a save. Just stand up, make a save, react. You know what I mean? It was a zone two one-on-one. Yep. Keeps forward was 10 yards away. And before the shot even's taken, he's already on his knees doing that. I'm like, you could have just made a save left or right. So super important to teach him when to do it, when not. And for me personally, it's more on the, on the, on the, the tighter angles. Okay. It's good to do. And then on the middle ones, I like to get hands to the ball or be big with the chest and the stomach to the ball and all that kind of stuff. Got you. Okay. Uh, my buddy Armando actually just, I don't know why he doesn't do the questions on here. He texted me. He says, uh, describe that first month or two of you moving to Belgium, that good and bad, I guess. I don't know how old you were when you did it uh, as a player, but six. Oh, wow. Okay. So just describe to us a little bit how leaving home, going to another part of the world at 16 and trying to, I guess, you know, go pro and, and, and master your craft. Well, the difference was when I was 16, there was one American that had played in Europe. His name was Paul Kellagery. Most of you guys will know him. Very he's a good friend of mine. He's amazing. He scored that goal against Trinidad that got us to the World Cup in Italy. Amazing dude. So I, I was reading Soccer America one day, and, and all of a sudden I'm like, wait, this dude just signed in Germany for Hamburg? And I was like, I can do that. Not to take away from Paul, but I was like, hey, that's awesome. Like, you know, so when I was 12, my I was born in Las Vegas. So my, my club team called the Las Vegas Generals, which today is the best team still. They're my club team. <laughs> um, shout out to the Generals. They uh, We did a tour. We went to Belgium, Germany, and Holland. We played some games. We raised money and all that. We stayed with host families. So at, uh, at 12, you know, we went there, played some games. And once I got to Europe, I was like, man, this is amazing. So when I saw Paul Calajuri sign for Hamburg at 15, at 16, called, I was, told my mom, I go, well, let, me, let me go try this. So I called the host family I stayed with in Belgium, stayed with them, and I just went knocking on doors. And, I, I, you know, I had a friend who knew a, a friend at FC Bruges, and he got me a, a one-hour trial. And uh, I did my one-hour trial. I thought I did okay. I didn't do amazing. And after the one hour trial, they're like, yeah, sure, we'll sign him. And that was kind of it. It was just do it on your own. Nowadays, you have the MLS, you know, there's different avenues. But when I was playing, there was no, there was no pro league. So I thought, you know, let me try it. So, you know, going back to the question, the good was I, I was the first American goalkeeper to sign a pro contract in Europe with FC Bruce. What was really tough was I had a whole country not wanting me to succeed. And the reason for that was, I went there and their sport is football, soccer. And I, all of a sudden this yank comes over there and they're like, I'm infiltrating their sport. They're like, go home, play basketball, play football, baseball. You guys suck. Blah, blah, blah. What are you doing here? So I had to overcome like basically a lot, a lot of adversity. And I had to be very thick skinned. I remember my, my first week of training with the, uh, the pro team. So at 17, I was training with the first team. And, wow. and FC Bruges at that time was a powerhouse. I mean, we had young Kulamans, all Van der Elst, all these famous, famous players, champions. We got to the semifinals of the European Cup two years out of the five I was there. So wow. my first week of training, we're playing a small-sided game. I'm 17, just winging it. You know, I didn't have all the technical training and everything. And uh, the coach says, you know, next goal wins, we're done. So we're playing a small-sided game. And cross comes from my left to the foot all the way to the right. And the guy smashes top corner. So I'm running across my goal. I set and from about six yards, corner to six, smashes top corner near post. And I was like, damn, okay, cool. Done. Practice, whatever. We lost. As I'm walking away, one of the senior pros look comes over and he, he literally grabs my shirt, pulls me, and he goes, What are you doing here? And this is a senior pro. I can't answer back. There, you know, he's. I just got to take it. Mm -hmm. He goes, "What are you doing here?" I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, "You're terrible." He goes, "Why don't you just fly back home, go back to America, go play basketball, whatever the hell sport you guys love?" And he goes, "You're terrible," and just walks off. And that was it. So I had to take it. You know, so I go around the corner, start bawling my eyes out, going, "Is he right? Is he not?" And that little bird on my shoulder goes. I don't want to cuss or nothing, but something, yeah, yeah, yeah. something you, I'll show you. So the beauty is, long story short, three years later, I signed in the Premier League with West Ham United. 
And that player that I'm talking about, his biggest dream was to play in the Premier League. Wow. That was his biggest dream. Okay. So I go sign for West Ham United in the Premier League, living the dream. I go back there, just kind of whatever, shopping and doing, you know, visiting friends and stuff like that. And I go in this one store. And funny enough, that same player is working now at that store as a salesperson. It's a clothing wow. store. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I see it. And I'm going, oh, I got this. So I walk up to him. He's like, hey, buddy, what's up? Hey, what? I, you know, he asked me, he's like, hey, what are you doing? I go, you know what, man? Just living the dream. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, I go, you know what? My biggest dream was to sign in the Premier League. And I just did that last year. I go, I just signed for West Ham United. It's like the most amazing. I just rubbed it in. I was like, it's the most amazing feeling <laughs> in the world. I achieved my dream, blah, 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 blah. And I go, what are you doing now? Meanwhile, he has a name tag here, you know. <laughs> I go, what are, you, what are you up to? And he's like, um, you know, just, uh, you know. So that was, that was probably my good and bad. Wow. You know? So we, it was very rough at times, but very, you know, amazing at the same time. Yeah, but I think that's the that's the beauty of it, right? You kind of have to be woken up and shook at a young age if you really want it. And I think that's the that's what you sound like is that you really want it from from day one, and you were proactive and wanting to to set up you know set a career for yourself. So I think that's huge. And I'm sure that moment again you carried around, and I'm sure that's something that you use as a coach too when you're you know talking to goalkeepers. You're probably not as not I mean, you're sure you're stern and and you know uh, make sure that you have good you know constructive criticism, but you probably remember that in the back of your mind of like, yeah, some people may have taken this the wrong way. And, and luckily for you, you kept going and worked with it, but other people may not be taking it uh, that Adversity way. is not the enemy. Adversity is an ally. And at the moment, and I teach my clients that you need adversity. You need people to tell you you're not good enough. You need people to tell you this, this, and that. And you got to come back from it. It's like a boxer. You get hit the first time. You get knocked down. Hurts like hell. You're thinking, do I get up? Do I not? And you get up. And the next time it doesn't hurt, you, and finally you don't get knocked down. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so uh, that was a great. Uh, honestly, that's a great story. I'm gonna have to chop that up and put it into into an Instagram post. There's more uh, to it too. I can go. Yeah, when we for sure. Yeah. I'll have you back on at some point to uh, go more depth. Uh, Ian uh, RSD he says, "Why has there been a loss of importance in clean handling recently?" And the reason I bring that up again, we well, may have covered it. I'm, I'm sure you did cover it earlier in this in this episode. But just uh, for you, just a quick maybe 30 seconds of why do you think that's a that's the state of goalkeeping now? Because because of the things we focus on. If you're just flying across the goal and just the coach is hitting top corner from, uh, you know, 10 yards and, you know, all you have to do is really run right and dive before the shot and hopefully it hits you on the way, you're not focused on catching. When we get in goal, it goes back to what I was talking about. When we get in goal, I'm finishing whatever scenario I've created, I'm finishing as if I'm a forward in a very live game important. So, yeah, I could sit here. I could hit a still ball top corner every time and show off well in reality a forward's not hitting top corner every time nor are they trying half the time they're trying to hit the target and there's a certain point where they're hitting the target and i've studied this i've talked to players like landon donovan david beckham all those stuff when i was at galaxy i go what's your thought process on this scenario and then i recreate that when i'm finishing you know wow. and i'll have keepers and they'll make the save and I'll say to them, and, and my, the keepers watching that know me, they're going to they're gonna hear this in their, in their sleep. It'll be great save, but you could have caught that. Or could you have caught that? So I, I force their safety barrier, safety zone of catching higher and higher and higher in training. And it's important to keep focusing. Yes, great save, but try to get two hands to it. I think you could have caught that. Don't give up a rebound. Don't give up a corner kick. My coach used to tell me I would make a save he, and I would hit it wide where he thought I could have caught it. He goes, yep, corner kick, goal, your fault. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it just like changed my thought process. Oh, I can't give away corner kicks. Yeah, again, it's 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 a, the coach's job and the coach's role to, again, instill that in you and give you a little bit more of the scenarios that you may potentially face, which is important. And I think that's the uh, the reason for coaching. Um, my man, Jonathan Rosales.1, he says, Coach Ian, what's the most important or what's the most memorable moment in your time with the national team while you were coaching as a with the national team while i was coaching yeah i mean i know you went to the olympics with the national team with uh you know frito on your team but for you uh as a coach with the national teams like what was your is there a story that you uh that you remembered or like let's say something you taught the, uh, the goalkeepers and they learned it and it was a proud moment for you or something like that for me the proud moment was my first camp where i had the honor of coaching tim howard 
you know, you're going in and you're like, hey, it's Tim Howard. He's a legend. He's, he's, he's up there with, you know, the best. And it wasn't my first day of coaching that was, was most memorable. It was the second day when I knew I got his confidence as a coach. Because I came in, he didn't know who I was. And uh, my buddy, Chris Woods, who's the Everton coach when he was at Everton, was the man you coach when he was at me. He's, Chris Woods has been with Tim forever. Chris is amazing. Legend. Legend. Yeah. He kind of recommended me. And by the second day, I had Tim's confidence. I had his trust that I knew what I was doing. And that was a good moment for me. Because the first day, he was, he was checking it out. And by the second day, I could tell Tim was like, yeah, let's do this. What do you got for me? How can you help me? Blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, and, and that was a pretty, pretty solid moment. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I think, uh, we talked to Chris Sharp and he had, uh, Tim Howard with him and he said that he was just one of those guys that just continued, even though he finished with Everton, just wanted to keep learning, wanted to get better. So I think that again, it's such a culture and it helps you as a coach to realize, yeah, some of these guys really just, they, they appreciate me as a coach. And that's the best thing you can feel as a coach is to be appreciated. They also appreciate the balance I had. It wasn't just, you know, overcoach. It wasn't undercoach. It was a respect. And I think he also knew he respected where I played. And, you know, he, he knows I played in Premier League as well. So I kind yeah. of get it. And, but there was a respect. That was, that was pretty, pretty solid. Gotcha. Okay. We have about, let's say, seven more minutes. And I have two more questions for you. And then in these questions, Ryan Torero brought up the West Ham story. So I'm going to have to finish off with that. So I'm going to go on. I said, the, do you remember that story? Which which one was it? She said the first day, the muddy one. That's what she wrote. Oh my trial. Yes. So well, I'm gonna finish off with that. I'm gonna finish off with that story because it seems like a fan favorite because people are saying now I want to hear it. So I'm gonna ask you two more questions: one from the coach's perspective, and then another one from a player's perspective. So from a coach perspective, how would you advise coaches going out there and figuring out one their philosophy and two their personality as a coach? How do you advise that, and how were you able to do that? Okay. Philosophy wise, for me, it's the game is the game. Okay. One of the best quotes is the game is the best teacher. Okay. The problem is as a keeper, we don't get to, to practice the game as much, especially at youth levels. Okay. You look at the training that the keeper gets at age, you know, eight club level to about 16, 90% of it is you're doing possession with the team. You're doing uh, step overs. You're doing dribbling through cones. You're not working on game related scenarios. So philosophy wise, you have to, as a keeper coach, when you have your keepers, you have to create the game for them. It's almost like just blasting shots on them is you don't even have to do like, you got to somehow create game scenarios and go in this game scenario. When this happens, this is where you need to be. Here's what you need to tell your defenders. A lot of my sessions, even if it's one-on-one, I'm telling them what I give a man. I put a mannequin. I go, this is your defender. As the ball in your mind goes from here to here, you have to tell your defender, force them wide. Ball goes from here backwards. Tell your defenders, step. So the communication is involved. Because coaches always go, you, gotta, you, you need to talk more. And, and I'll go, did your coach tell you what to say? And they go, nope. I go, here we go back to the Dutch language. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's important to have that. So for me, my philosophy is, again, I'm, every time I do a session, I'm creating game scenarios. So as coaches, let's create game scenarios. Let's teach them how to do the game scenarios because those where the breakdowns happen, okay? It's 90% of the time they're in a bad position, wrong decision, all that. And because of their brain getting overflowed with position and talking, this, this, and that, the basic technique breaks down. So you have to incorporate every part of it. It can't just be all technical and it can't just be all game related. You have to build it up. So I create game scenarios that are so intricate and so mind blowing in terms of filling your brain up. It might not be that physical. It doesn't have to be goalkeeping is not that physical. I mean, if you, you know, so, but mentally it's very, very challenging. So I fill your brain up with 15 different things before you even get to the shot. Yeah, And I want to see by the time you – because what happens is by the time you get to the shot, you forgot your basic technique that you're actually pretty good at if you didn't have the other 15 things. So that's what I try to design. So it's filling your brain and see if you can eventually get to the point where you can communicate, you can organize, you can predict, you can anticipate, you can do all the things and get set, get balanced, and save the shot. So it's important. Such a good answer. 
I think, yeah, that's, I'm serious. That's the, uh, that's the beauty of it. Okay. I actually have one more question here. It says, uh, what, what made you win Tim's trust? And again, I think that goes back to the personality side of things. If we can go back to that, that question I just asked and, um, use that to get into this, into this question, uh, what made you win Tim's trust as a coach and how was that personality and that collaboration between the two of you? I think it was being confident enough to go in and coach Tim Howard. Not that I'm, I never lack confidence. I mean, you know, for me, it was just like, okay, I played against him when he was at New York. I watched him play when he was at Manchester United. I was still at West Ham United, you know, those things. So I had a very confident start to it, which helped. But I think it was just the mutual. He just, the, the points I made. I mean, it was just, I would hit a point once in a while. I'd pull back, see if he does it. And if he doesn't do it again, I would, you know, I would just find the right coaching moments. And I think that's clutch as a coach. I hear coaches sometimes, they have great points, but they're not pulling away to see if they do it. It's like, say a point, pull away, see if they do it. See if they do it again. If they don't do it two, three times in a row, go back in. It's like a puppet. You're here doing the thing and, okay, all right, I'm going to pull away and just see if you can start doing your own thing. Now, yeah. Okay, I might have to pull this string, might have to pull that. Don't overcoach. Don't, don't coach every single thing you see. Find a balance. We could be working on shot stopping and the keeper might do five different things wrong. I'll find the most important one and maybe go, hey, try this. Boom. Pull away. And I might go back to the other four things they did. You know, it's just constant balance yeah. and evaluation and, and what you're doing as a coach. And you cannot overflow them with information. You know, they're going to be stuck. It. it goes back to robotic goalkeeping. We don't want robotic goalkeeping. We need to have calm, loose. You look at the top keepers in the world. And I always say this. The top 10 keepers in the world all have one thing in common. One might be good at crossing, one might be good at shot stuff, and one might be good at 1v1, but they all have one thing in common. They're all calm. They're all calm under pressure and relaxed. And that's, that's the key is training that, teach them that, you know. Love it. Okay, uh, just going to give you a second here. Dan Metcalf says hi. He wrote a few things. <laughs> he says that Ian is a f is phenomenal, actually. So he likes you a lot. I'm just going to uh, real quick, uh, Ian, for those of uh, the people who are out there who want to know more about you, where can they find you? What's your academy information? And, and just I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. So before we get cut off. Instagram, just at Ian Foyer. And the website is ianfoyer.com. F-E-U-E-R, like Neuer, the goalkeeper, but with an F, <laughs> if you ever forget. I do daily private sessions. We'll see how it goes with this whole virus thing. But yeah, once that gets done, we'll, you know, we do camps. The camps are amazing. I can promise you the camps, basically you warm up on your own. We got two hours a day for four days and I create four to five game scenarios on shot stopping topic, crossing, free kicks, one V ones distribution. So it's basically game scenarios. We got forwards running in defenders. We got every, it's chaos and it's awesome. Everybody loves Love it. the camp. So if you ever need to go to a camp and you're looking for one, yeah, you know. Love it. Well, one of these days, Ian, I'm going to have to have you come back on and tell that uh, West Ham story and, and even maybe more stories from your uh, from your career. Everybody is – if you want, I mean, later on, if you'd like, just go ahead and uh, rewatch this if you want and just read the comments. A lot of great comments. A lot of your uh, students are coming on here and saying some great things and parents that have worked with your kids. And uh, you're obviously – man, for me – one of the top coaches that I look at and, and see that, you know, you simplify the game. And, and to me, it's a good reminder that it doesn't have to be all about me as a coach. It's important to to let the goalkeepers fail and, and create a, a foundation for them and a, a, a safe space to get better and a culture to get better. And you've done that amazingly with your goalkeepers that I, I've trained. And it's been uh, it's been very refreshing to hear this, this conversation from you and, and definitely some coaching points that I will take once this whole thing is back to normal to my goalkeepers. Oh, 